message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk, and he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed the fast, and everyone, great and small, put on the sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Here was the Spirit that sang to the church.
time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The gospel. And they perhaps had a sense of some of the 
something very important is happening, and he asked them to follow him. They knew exactly what he was talking about, because they had heard him talk about God and about proclaiming the kingdom. So I think they were prepared for that day, when it was not just God's day. It was the rabbi's day, and the disciples' day as well, for the kingdom of God had come near. Some have said that the primary interest of this gospel is the authority of Jesus and the response of the disciples. Jesus says, follow me. And in the gospel we see that immediately they responded. And in these words, the focus of the gospel of Mark is made clear. The presence and word of Jesus, and on the other hand, the response of the disciples. The literal meaning of uh, the word that's used for follow me is perhaps better translated, come after me. And a better way even to uh, translate it might be to use the southern expression, y'all come follow me, y'all come after me. Because it's plural, it's not just about one person. Y'all come, come after me. The disciples will follow. But in the remainder of Mark, they don't always act like good disciples. They don't always do well. Often they fall short of their first response to Paul. One could even say that they don't offer very good examples of what it is to be a disciple or to enter into discipleship. But I think there's a fundamental quality of faithful discipleship that we must hold on to. And that is, as best we can, we simply what might all of this mean for us? Could they possibly be an example for us? Well, it's clear that when the disciples were called by Jesus, they left everything. They abandoned their way of life. They abandoned the way that they, they made it earn, earn a living. They even left family. Uh, Zebedee is left as his sons go off, and he has uh, nothing but the hired help to help him with the fishing. Their lives have been completely changed. I think often I at least hear those words and feel a little guilty about it because I haven't left everything in order to follow Jesus. So what does it mean to me? How far should I go in responding to that call? And I think what might be more helpful for us is to think about what is important in our lives. Where do we place emphasis? And if we want to find out, is all we need to do is look where we spend our money and look where we spend our time. Look where we devote so much of our energy. Those are the things that are truly valuable to us. And of course, the question is, how much a part of that reflects discipleship following Jesus? Many years ago, when I was a young captain in the Air Force, I attended a, a four-week leadership school it's called Squadron Officer School. It was at the Air War College in Montgomery. I never wanted to go to Montgomery, but I did. <laughs> we lived in a trailer house in a trailer park called the Crow's Nest. And the thing that was so amazing about the Crow's Nest was the guy that owned it, because he had a five-legged cat. And he had a picture of it that he showed everybody. And I soon uh, learned that that was uh, the least of the bizarre things. <laughs> we often had lectures and briefings in a large auditorium that we call the Blue Bedroom. It was painted blue, the seats were comfortable, we were all sleep deprived, so we spent a fair amount of time catching up in the bedroom. But I remember very clearly one of the lectures. It was a lecture on values. And the officer who was presented, presenting it asked the question, what are your priorities? How do you order them? And then he answered it for us. He said, remember, it is country, family, and God in that order. And then he even asked us to raise hands if we agreed with that. And I was just uh, mortified. I realized in that moment that I wasn't like a lot of the people in that room. Those were not the order of my priorities. I don't think I've ever really, at that time, had stopped to think about how I might order those particular aspects of my life. 
pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. I ask your prayers for Barack, our president, and the Baha, our governor. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. Grant us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. Especially for Nikki, Raven, Bruce, David, Teresa, Norman, Stephen, Francis, Nelson, Jay, Marisha, Tom, Jonathan, Don, Claire, Andy, Steve, Dell, Julie, Taylor, Pat, Roger, Derek, Liz, those without jobs, and those serving in the military. Are there others? Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. We pray for the repose of the souls of Geraldine Webster, daughter-in-law of Anne Webster, in whose memory the flowers of the altar are given, and Carolyn Riser, wife of King Riser. Are there others? Give to the, the departed eternal rest.